0: in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plantstock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. And becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plan Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. I always love it when Dr. Doug Lyle pays a visit to the Plan Strong podcast. He's always a huge hit at our Plan Strong retreats. In fact. He'll be giving multiple lectures at our next month's event in the Red Rock Mountains of Sedona, Arizona. If you're not doing anything, come join us. You'll love it. Not only is Doug a brilliant evolutionary psychologist and author of the book, The Pleasure Trap, but he is able to explain our human behaviors in a way that just makes sense, especially when it comes to seeking pleasure and the highly palatable, addictive processed foods that are ubiquitous in our culture and almost impossible to resist. A few weeks ago, I had Doug live on Facebook and YouTube to touch on the very, very hot topic of weight loss drugs that are now becoming the next big thing. Drugs that were created to treat diabetes are now making their way into the mainstream as a weight loss drug. It sounds great, right? But in actuality, what long-term impact will these have on health? Are they really helping the underlying cause of disease? Is it enough just to lose the weight? Will these drugs improve our health in the same way that a whole food plant-based diet can? We talk about this and a lot more in today's episode. Please welcome the man who is never afraid of the truth, Dr. Doug Lyle. Today we have a very, very special guest. We have Dr. Doug Lyle joining us from, Doug, where are you, where are you uh, live from today? Sacramento. Sacramento. What's the heat there today? It's getting up there.
1: I think we'll be hundred
0: today. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, we got you by about seven degrees here in Austin. Oh yeah, there you go. All good. It's 107. You're a swimmer. You've got to get a, get a pool sometime today. I'm sure. Oh, I've already been in the pool twice. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. What about yourself? Have you been on the basketball court anytime soon or recently? Oh, yeah.
1: Oh yeah, I've been on the basketball court, and uh, so so when I
0: see you in October, I'll, I'll be showing you. I'll be showing you the upgrade of the shot. Oh no, I love it. I love it. For people that don't know what uh, Doug and I are talking about. Doug is quite the basketball player. And on many occasions, he has schooled me either in one-on-one or horse uh, or 33, whatever it is. And Doug is, you're probably five years my senior. <laughs> yeah. A couple yeah. of years my senior. I just, sure, yeah. I just turned 60 recently. Um, and I consider myself, you know, a pretty good athlete. And Doug, you just, you got my number. <laughs> and well, it's kind of infuriating. Well,
1: you're, you're, you're the, you, you do it all, but when you do it all, you can only be so good, right? (laughs) I only do one thing. That's
0: it. Speaking of which. Yeah. So, um, well, first let me, let me make a proper introduction. So for those of you that don't know who, who Doug is, Doug is an evolutionary psychologist. Doug is the author of the pleasure trap that is really an iconic, uh, part of anyone that wants to succeed eating whole food plant-based, you really want to understand the principles of the pleasure trap. Doug has has taught at Stanford University. You've taught everything from statistics uh, to psychology. You're one of the lead researchers at uh, the True North Health Center in Santa Rosa, California with your lifelong buddy, Alan Goldhammer. Um, and then you also We're very fortunate you've been part of the Plan Strong retreat team for nine years, where you give really typically three or four of your iconic lectures. And this October in Sedona, October 9th to the 15th, you're going to be joining us. You'll be doing The Pleasure Trap, of course. You'll be doing How to Get Along Without Going Along. And then the last lecture that you give that's absolutely brilliant is how to weigh less or how to lose weight without losing your mind
1: that's it and okay.
0: uh, that actually is a topic that I want to dive into today in light of the fact that yesterday one of the lead articles in the New York Times if anybody hasn't seen it it's called we know where where a new late we know where new weight loss drugs came from, but not why they work. And the article is by a woman that does a lot of writing on health. Her name's Gina Colada, and she's been writing on weight loss and drugs and diet and exercise for 25 years. And she says that, in her opinion, none of these things have any kind of lasting effect, but she is kind of convinced that these new drugs may potentially be a game changer that can change the world in weight loss. So, Doug, given you know your your background um and your vast knowledge in this subject, I want to start by diving into this and we may spend the whole 45 minutes on this subject. Uh but people feel free to throw a question in for Doug of, about this or anything that you want because uh this to me is super, super important. So for starters, Doug, let me, are you aware of these weight loss drugs like uh, Ozempic and uh, Wagonia, Wagonia, I think it's pronounced?
1: Yes, uh, I am. And I, my, my reaction to these, uh, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure your dad uh, could, could sit down and, and tell you stories about, about um, how, whenever there's some new drug that's supposed to be, be the big, the big fancy cure to whatever the problem is, the, you can expect it to be ushered in with a lot of excitement and a lot of press. Uh, these are, these are unbelievably lucrative and important, you know, business opportunities for the pharmaceutical industry and for medicine. And so there's a bunch of excitement, a bunch of confidence, um, And, you know, Ralph Nader has a rule, don't take any drug that hasn't been out there for 70 years. And in this case, these drugs have been around for use for other things, but still they haven't been used like this uh, for, for this problem, these dosages. Uh, And so people charging into this thing, uh, I think are, are making a a, a classic mistake, uh, which is that you don't actually know what the long-term cost benefit is. And so we're, we're not going to know for a while and but people are, I understand people are desperate and they, they feel like they cannot manage this problem and they don't understand actually how to manage it intelligently. And so, and uh, the energy conservation strategy inside of humans, they just want it fixed. And uh, the, these particular drugs um, I know I'm kind of running all over the place with this, but these particular drugs uh, I'm hearing and I, I can't verify this, but I'm going to tell you what I think is true. Yeah, um, I'm hearing uh, from multiple clients over the last six months that are frustrated with their weight and want to do weight loss that when they go to their doctors and their doctors say, look, you know that your ob- obesity, that this is a, this is a big risk, for, you know, this is a big problem with your health. And so therefore we have to do something. Yes, there's side effects, but you know, it's this trade off. Um, this comes from the physician. Uh, the physicians actually don't really understand quite frankly, they don't understand the nature of the ideology of health and disease. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, they're, they're, they're not trained particularly in this. And so, as a result of that, they have a misunderstanding of what it means to, um, to see a correlation coefficient between obesity and disease. So w- when, w- when the studies that show the correlation between obesity and disease would make the average physician very susceptible to believing that obesity is causing disease processes. Mm-hmm. Obesity is not causing disease processes. It's the food that you eat to make you obese that is causing the disease processes. That is a very, very different thing. Okay.
0: Can you, tough. can, can you repeat that one more time? Cause I think that's very important to have that sink in.
1: Right. So the, 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 the physicians, I believe this is what I can't verify. Uh, I know that many physicians believe that obesity is a cause of health problems. That is for all intents and purposes, or most intents and purposes, this is not true. Okay, the it is the diet that causes the obesity that is the cause of the of the health problems. So the obesity is a side effect of multi-dimensional, system-wide problems that are caused by the foods that that are overly rich for people, and obesity is just a marker of the fact that that's the foods that they're eating. So to blame obesity for the health problems that are correlated with obesity is absurd. Mm. So Mm. this is this is very much like uh, you see exactly the same lack of understanding in medical doctors around high blood pressure medication. So uh, doctors say, well, we've got to get that blood pressure down. It's a risk. It's like a risk of what? Well, you know, cardiovascular disease. It's like, no, it's not. High blood pressure doesn't cause cardiovascular disease. The same thing that causes the high blood pressure causes the cardiovascular disease. So if you take a person that has, you know, blood pressure of 170 over 110 and you medicate them down with high blood pressure medication, you haven't reduced their risk of heart attack at all. Mm Not by 1%. Okay. You just made them look like a person who has a lower risk factor. You made them look like a healthier person, but you didn't make them into a healthier person because the blood pressure itself isn't the problem. Mm -hmm. Now, the blood pressure is, in fact, uh, there there would be three sort of problems that would come out of high blood pressure or are associated with it that terrify people and medical doctors, i.e. heart attacks and strokes. And strokes come in two types. They come in embolisms and they come in hemorrhages. And so an embolism is a clot. That's the same thing that causes a heart attack. And uh, a hemorrhage is a a vessel breaking and bleeding into the brain. Now, it's going to turn out that heart attacks and embolisms, uh, those are not influenced by blood pressure. They're associated with blood pressure because the same diet that clogs up your arteries and causes havoc in the cardiovascular system that results in you throwing clots, that diet will also cause you to have high blood pressure. But the Mm -hmm. high blood pressure isn't causing those events. It's just a correlate, okay? Now, it turns out that 90% of all strokes are embolisms. 10% of them are hemorrhages, we're above mm-hmm. blood vessel breaks. Mm-hmm. Those are influenced by blood pressure. So the higher the blood pressure is, it's putting more pressure on those veins. And as a result, it's more likely that we're gonna get one to burst. So if your blood pressure is extremely high then you are increasing your likelihood of a hemorrhagic stroke. But remember, hemorrhagic strokes are only 10% of all strokes. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to medicating people with high blood pressure medication to get their numbers lower, to make them look like they're healthier people, the only influence that it's having that's positive is a reduction in the likelihood of a hemorrhagic stroke. Now, almost all hemorrhagic strokes are taking place in people with very high blood pressure. So they're taking place in people with 170, 180, 190. They're not taking place down to people with 140. But notice where modern medicine puts the the place where we start medicating people. You start medicating them down at 140, even, quote, pre-high blood pressure, borderline, we're going to take it down to 130, 135, because that's Mm -hmm. everybody. So now, now you massively increase the market. You're medicating people like crazy with this medication that has almost no positive effect at all. The only thing it does is modest reductions in the likelihood of hemorrhagic strokes, which are rare. But the average medical doctor has no idea that this is true. They think that it's making you look like a person who has a better cardiovascular profile. It thinks that it's taking you, if you're a 160 over 100, it's taking you down to 135 over 85. And it's like, well, you've got a 50% less likelihood of having a heart attack. No, you Mm. don't. Mm. You absolutely do not have a 50% less likelihood of a heart attack. You have exactly the same likelihood of a heart attack because the diet and health of the cardiovascular system hasn't changed at all as a result of taking that medication. You just look like you belong to a category like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. If I make my middle name uh Michael, that doesn't make me part Michael Jordan. <laughs> so that's not gonna help. If I actually go down to the courthouse and change my name to Michael Jordan Lyle, it is not gonna help my basketball game at all. <laughs> it makes me look like it makes my on paper, it makes me look like I'm better, but I'm not any better. And the yeah. same thing is true with using Drugs to make numbers look better. So, when uh, a Zimpic drives somebody's, you know, takes 18 pounds off of somebody that's 220 pounds, which is typically the result that, that is seen in the studies. So, if you're a 225 pound person and you lose 18 pounds from using this medication as it's prescribed and it was done in the drug trials, then the question is is your health profile better now? 18 now, now down at 207 than it was at 225 and the answer is n- well you're not actually any healthier at all the question is whether or not a, the but the doctor says that you statistically look like you're better because it looks like you're in a category of a less obese human so we've had some gains there well nobody knows if there's any gains mm-hmm. so in, in actually studying Long term cost benefit analysis with respect to health that is unknown, and I am always deeply suspicious of any drug that that you know changes a body so significantly that it would cause you to drop 10% of your body weight. That is no small interfering factor, and right. anything that can do that, I believe, is going to be having rel- relatively profound influence on all kinds of bodily systems, and it's likely to have the straining uh, systems pretty aggressively in a way that they weren't designed to be strained, So we got well, problems. Y-
0: yeah. And in the, in the article, they talk about how, what they're doing with these drugs is they're exposing the brain to levels of a natural home hormone at, at, at these levels that have never been seen in nature before ever. So you're right. Uh, there's, there's obviously some weird stuff going on there. And, you know kind of in in doing reading the article um one of the one of the scientists that's been working on these weight loss drugs for you know 20 30 years uh, says that you know when he was working on well do you increase the leptin or do you block the ghrelin right yes. he he basically came to the realization because he wasn't having any success with humans yeah. Yeah. they had fantastic success with mice yeah but with humans, none. And so he came to the conclusion that the body has so many redundant circuits of interacting nerve impulses and hormones uh, to control weight loss that just tweaking one basically doesn't make a difference. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Let me ask you this, Doug, because one of the things this article talks about is, is obesity a moral failing us or is it a or is it a chronic disease i mean i think you've already answered it but i mean how would you answer that question
1: okay it, it's neither so uh uh wh- what this is is a natural consequence of having a diet that has been altered away from human nature and so the diet is now uh va- far richer in calorie density than it was d- designed to be and so and it's going to turn out that animal nature is to to try to conserve energy In other words, basically life is the process of trying to get your hands on energy and then expend it and the processes needed to keep you surviving and and reproducing so that that is essentially what the life process is is uh, the acquisition of resources primarily energy but there are other resources too uh but but primarily uh, uh energy is the uh, like like a shelter would be another resource that you would you would seek out and try to get, for example. but, but the um, but food is unbelievably important. And so it's it's your it's the primary energy source. Ambient heat is obviously another one. the um but this is a primary uh, resource that you're designed by nature to have exquisitely well engineered preferences to let you know. That if you're if you're sitting in front of a bunch of lettuce uh, in you know in the middle of a, of a uh, meadow somewhere and you put it, put it in your mouth and you could actually chew it and taste the tiniest bit of sugar that's inside some romaine or something so it actually tastes a little bit sweet and you're like, hey, I can eat this. you know I can't eat the grass, but I could eat this And you sit there and start eating it by the time you eat a pound of it and pretty well fill your stomach up, you shouldn't be designed by nature to be satisfied with this. Mm. Because if you do this, and you did this three or four times a day, you'd eat three or 400 calories that day, and you would starve to death in pretty short order uh, on such a diet. So the nervous system has to be really good at chemoreception. It has to know the chemical content of what it is that you're eating within pretty close parameters, and it does. So it can tell the difference between a chocolate shake and an apple. And it, it knows that the chocolate shake has vastly more calories in it than the apple does. And so it's going to turn out that, of course, then what you should see throughout nature is a preference uh, in animals for the richer food. And anybody that's ever fed a dog a dog treat knows this. I mean, this is really obvious. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, you know, just, your kid isn't pulling on your sleeve trying to get another carrot out of you. Your kids wants another Pop-Tart, obviously. And so this isn't a moral failing. This is an evolutionary imperative that this is the way that we're designed. So now, now you've got an interesting problem. So for the first time in life on earth ever, one species actually has the ability to be eating foods that are unnaturally concentrated if they choose to do so. And the answer is, well, every one of them will choose to do so as long as they're designed properly by evolution, which they are. Yeah. (laughs) So as a result, this is what human beings are going to prefer to eat. And that means that they're going to be systematically overeating on this food because instead of being six or 700 calories a pound on average for the diet, it's a thousand. And so, of course, they're going to be eating a thousand calorie pound food. And as a result of that, they're going to be systematically overeating by thirty percent a day, whatever it is, four or five hundred calories a day. And then their bodies will reach an equilibrium at that higher level of food intake mm-hmm. over a lifetime. And so the average American woman gains two pounds a year uh, starting in on her sixteenth birthday to thirty six year uh, by her thirty sixth birthday, she's forty pounds overweight. Mm-hmm. So what this is is that this is the natural biological equilibrium. That takes place when you enrich the diet. This is precisely what happens when they're fatting, fattening up hogs for slaughter. They add molasses to the feed. The molasses is high calorie density; it's basically pure sugar. So as a result of that, the the hogs don't don't stop eating until they've now eaten more calories than they would have normally eaten, and that's how they get big. That is precisely how it is that you put weight on an animal, and that's how we put weight on the entire United States population. <laughs> it's not a moral failing and it's not a disease. It's a, it's a, it's a behavioral regulation nightmare Mm. because you're, you are Mm. simply doing what you're designed to do. And if you do doing what you're designed to do in an environment that's unnatural, we wind up with problems.
0: Right. So, I mean, I think the latest figures from the CDC show that what 42% of American adults are, obese like 75 percent of us are considered overweight or obese um and the 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 environment has become so uh polluted with these hyper concentrated forms of calories do you see a way a way out um you know in the next five ten years with with the power that the these Big food companies have to push their products, you know, everywhere they want them.
1: No, I, I don't. In other words, I, I think you're looking at situation normal. So, in other words, I think that, that what you're actually looking at is that there's going to be a small percentage of people they're going to be brighter than average and they're going to be more conscientious than average, uh, and they're going to happen to have a curiosity in this arena. So, um, people, uh, it's going to turn out, interestingly enough, that would surprise us that that men are interested in sports and women are very interested in food <laughs> and uh it's going to turn out that that sports is how men ultimately got food i.e put a spear in your hand and go chase things down women were always the nurturing creatures that are going to be doing the cooking and then they're going to and they're concerned with the food prep etc cetera. So this is, uh, it's going to turn out that in any nutrition program in in the United States, you're going to find it dominated by women. Women are inherently interested in food. They're also interested in people. Men are interested in things. (laughs) 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 Men have a very strong interest in in machinery. Okay? So this is a, uh, these are differences. And I forget where I'm going with this as I just sort of wandered off topic. But the point is, is that... That men aren't even interested in their food. They just want rich food. They're not going to be studying it. They're not going to become knowledgeable about nutrition. They couldn't care less. So you've got half of the population that is basically uneducable. <laughs> All right, so that we begin there. Well, All and right? the
0: question and the question was, you're like, yeah. So with the number with the f- food environment we have. Yes, Uh, we're basically doomed. And you were like, yes, except for some people that.
1: Yes. yes. And you've got you've got a significant percentage of women that are inherently very interested in nutrition, food. They're going to feed their children. They're concerned about feeding their families They're And there's a certain percentage of people that are health conscious uh, that that are understanding that there's going to be some underlying principles of nature here that the input and the output and the cost, the cost and benefit that there's cause and effect relationships between what on earth you put in your body and what happens to it. And Mm -hmm. so there's a certain percentage of people that are inherently interested and they will discover what, what it is that we know and they'll just, and they'll utilize it and they'll be successful. That will be the minority of humans. So um, human nature is not built for this problem. This is an unnatural problem. Mm. So therefore only a few percentage of people, I don't know what it is, 10, okay, <clears throat> probably 10% of humanity has the necessary per- prerequisite nature uh, of their psychology that they could actually pull something like this off. Okay. And that's mm. it, to, to those of us that have that it's, it's frustrating and bizarre That other people can't adopt this. It's like we can't understand why you wouldn't do this. (laughs) No, (laughs) it's kind of like a Wall Street inside trader. Like, don't you know you're just supposed to cheat? Like, what are you a fool? You're just investing in regular stuff. No, don't be an idiot. Get inside information. So, in Mm -hmm. other words, if if you look at things a certain way, you can't understand why everybody wouldn't do it this way, and you and I can't understand why wouldn't you be unbelievably interested in treating your body extremely well and having a high percentage chance of really good long-term outcomes? And the answer is, gee, uh, that's because you're an oddball.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Well, let me, let me ask you this, Doug, because I would imagine that these doctors that specialize in obesity, right? I mean, from in the article, it basically talks about how, let me just say, so um, in July, doctors in the U.S. wrote 94,000 prescriptions a week for Wagovia and then 62,000 for uh, Ozempic, or however you pronounce it. Um, there, the, some of these obesity medical specialists are booked a year in advance. We we know with all the different surgeries that are going on how desperate people are, yes. Um, and according to the article, some of these newer drugs that are going out, and what's interesting is most of these weight loss drugs one of the side effects from they originally were diabetes drugs, yes, and one of the side effects is weight loss, and I guess it's kind of suppressing their appetite, so they're not always thinking about food
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: but is uh there's this new drug that supposedly is achieving twenty five percent weight loss. Mm-hmm. It's in the very early stages, but like if I'm 200, 200 pounds and mm-hmm. I can get down to 150 by taking this drug and it has the potential to reverse some of my di- di- diabetes symptoms. Um, and I just feel like I, I am not, I can't be troubled with whole food plant-based, right? I just, I've, I love my pleasure trap. You know, I love these hyper concentrated foods too much. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it, sometime in the future, even maybe even now, there's a, there's a time and a place for these drugs? Um, I would say
1: the, the answer to that question is is that we don't know because we don't know their long-term effects. Yeah, so the um, that is the, the question is, is there a legitimate cost benefit analysis for any drug and that that is always an open question. So for example, they spent a lot awful lot of money, working to figure out viagra so instead you know you you could could have listened to our friends and they would have said well geez just you know eat some freaking decent food and let's make sure you don't have vascular disease and that problem is a canary in the coal mine so therefore you know you shouldn't be making that mousing your way around it you should be fixing the underlying problem and a whole bunch of people are going to say not interested in fixing the underlying problem just give me my my viagra and on, we could sit back and think: Is humanity better off for that for that innovation, or isn't it? And there would be, you know, I'm sure you could make a case that people would say, "Well, I'm better <clears throat> off because Viagra vi- vi- exists." Fair enough. In the same way, we're going to probably find the same things that that some people's lives will be better off from these drugs if it turns out that their mm-hmm. risk profile isn't too bad. But you know. A lot of side effects can be really nasty. Oh, and so you're talking about you're paying, playing Russian roulette with the only body you've got. Yeah. And this is well, just not the way I roll. No, no.
0: Well, I, in the article, it mentions how two of the main side effects one is malnutrition and the other is facial aging. I mean, who wants premature facial aging? But I, I guess maybe, you know, uh, acreatitis exactly you
1: Constant got some diarrhea <laughs> no you you're i mean this is uh i i can't you know when it comes to anybody's medical decisions including bariatric surgery yeah. the um i i can understand the desperation that people have and the and the the frustration that they have um and that they that they feel cornered and they will quote do anything i understand it because i've talked to You know, I I talk to a thousand people a year and probably 200 of those people are calling me about weight issues. So I'm talking to three or four people a week in phone consultations about weight issues. And my solution is, of course, never to go to any drugs or any surgery. It's to to uh, the people that are calling me are smart enough and interested enough Mm because they found me. They're not calling me randomly. Uh, that they would like to do you know to, to uh, essentially go plant strong and do a good job of this, but they're struggling with the challenges that are associated with this that we know can be can be formidable. And so that's my job. My job is to troubleshoot those things to break this thing down to make it simpler and make it uh, increase your a person's probability of success. I've had so much success that it, it makes me confident to the level of arrogant. In other words, it's like, listen, just call me and we will find a plan, whatever it is. If we have to throw you in jail at an engine two retreat, that's what we, you know, whatever it is that we need to do, but there is a pathway from where you are now to where it is that you want to go that is sane, reasonable and achievable. Okay. The, uh, but there are, you know, there are efforts that need to be made to get you there. And if you want the outcome Instead of doing the process properly and you want to cut out a precious organ that you could never recover or you want to drug a system in a way that has unpredictable results that you have to cross your fingers and hope you're not one of the, quote, rare side effects whose body is permanently destroyed. That, you know, if you don't want if you want to do it differently, there is a safe, reasonable and ultimately lifetime sustainable process will have comprehensive health benefits that, to me, it's there's no reasonable choice on the chessboard. But if you ask the question population-wide among desperate people, you know what I'm saying, that that feel like they can't do this, won't do this, will never learn about this and just want some results, will these drugs be a net benefit to, to, to this uh, civilization? Maybe. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. And I, I'm not really that interested in that question.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested in doing this thing, right.
0: Um, you know, what's interesting is supposedly in these drugs and we talked about how there's this excessive amount of a, uh, levels of these, these, these hormones, but supposedly there's this thing called GLP one. Um, and, patients they get five times the amount of this glp1 than they would in a thanksgiving dinner just to yes you know put it out there how unnatural um, yes the levels of of certain things in these drugs are Mm -hmm. and to your point like you're playing russian roulette you are
1: you know i i just got a email from a young man in another country that uh once talked to me about the fact that he has uh Uh, What appears to be a, between the ages of 15 and 18, he was uh, given uh, antidepressants, completely Mm -hmm. reasonable. In other words, that, that is considered completely reasonable medicine. Some depressed young man went into his physician, his physician prescribed him one of these SSRIs, the the most common antidepressants in the world. And he has apparently permanently dysfunctional sexual function Mm -hmm. as a result. That is a rare but known side effect. Now, you think about that. okay? It's like, wow, if I had known that that was a possibility, maybe I would have not been, I wouldn't have taken that medication and I would have done other things that might have been reasonable about trying to address my depression. So this is... You know, and, and I, as someone who has lived in this space now for forty years, I've talked to three hundred of those people in my life. Not that specific side effect, but I took this drug and now I'm permanently maimed. I am took that drug, I'm permanently maimed. And now we are coming behind there with whole natural foods and water fasting at True North, and and functional medicine from the from the best people that we can find to try to Mickey Mouse our way around and hopefully recover some of the function that is caused by the damage of the drugs. So you will never sell me that the new hot item on the drug market that's going to solve some problem, uh, you'll sell it to me if healthy living, if unhealthy living wasn't the cause and healthy living isn't the cure. Mm
0: -hmm. Then
1: I'm all ears, okay? You got some bizarre problem that human beings occasionally get it has nothing to do with their diet and lifestyle, and there's no possible reversal of diet and lifestyle. Now you got my attention. But you start talking about obesity, forget yeah. about it. We know the cause and we know the cure, and so therefore I'm not interested in the new whiz-bang.
0: Because well, that
1: new whiz-bang is going to have many, many tragedies associated with it.
0: Well, you know, I got this toenail fungus, dug, and it doesn't matter what I eat, nothing seems to resolve it. And, you know, you, you I went on some some medicine that you take and you have to actually have your liver checked every couple of months to make sure it's not wreaking havoc on your liver, yes. but it like resolved it in about two months. Pretty, yes. pretty crazy. There you go. Yeah. But now the thing with cholesterol and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, elevated blood pressure, these meds and these weight loss meds, yeah. I mean the doc, you know, when we're at our retreats, the doctors say, you're going to be on this for the rest of your life. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, no, I don't think anybody wants to be on a drug for the rest of their life. It yeah. doesn't sound, that doesn't sound like a smart move.
1: Yeah. It's it sounds like an unbelievably lucrative campaign. <laughs> right. Okay. Is what this is. And so, and it is lucrative. So I think it was estimated mm-hmm. at one point that if you can get a young kid on, on Ritalin for their quote, ADHD, that's a 200,000 dollar patient for the pharmaceutical industry. Oh god. Okay, so don't think they don't have it gamed out. So right. the the I'm sure that, you know, if I was really a mercenary, RIP, when this medication uh, came out, I would have rushed and bought a bunch of pharmaceutical stock. <laughs> <laughs> you know, of course, I mean that's a that that, yeah. that would be the intelligent thing to have done. But th- th- this is To to me, it's a uh, I, I understand it and I understand the allure, but I have no interest in it. And nobody will ever convince me when you sing the praises of it, of all the successes that you hear. Wait until we hear the catastrophic failures. Wait until you are a doctor that is talking to somebody who is permanently maimed and has permanent loss of function as a result of these medications. That life can never be recovered. Okay, and that that is the that is the the roulette wheel that we use whenever we use any of this stuff.
0: And you and I both know, on the flip side of that coin, what happens when you transition to whole food plant based. Yes, and the incredible uh, results that we have seen again and again and again, year in year out, sure. with literally zero side effects except for the positive ones that everybody wants. Of
1: course, everything
0: and and speaking of that, I'm just going to quickly say, just as a little a little commercial break here, if anybody's interested in joining us in Sedona in October, we have about fifteen spots available, and because Doug is going to be there and to honor Doug, use the code Doug 150 and you get hundred and fifty bucks uh off the uh, the trip to Sedona. Sounds hey, good. look
1: what I did. I did a good thing today. That's you great. You sure <laughs>
0: did. You sure did. Doug, this is a question that, that, uh, somebody wants to know. So for people who struggle despite having the knowledge, yes, what in your opinion is the disconnect between knowing better and doing better? Um, so what, I'm sure it comes back to the pleasure trap, but why mm-hmm. can't people make the change even when they know,
1: um, the the reason, yeah, I am I'm, I'm gonna not, I, you know how dangerous it is to <laughs> ask me a question like, the,
0: <laughs> the, uh, well, can, we, we always we, we could also ask you the dangers of oil. That's one of the questions. See right there. <laughs>
1: the uh, <laughs> it, the, uh, the danger. I mean, the the problem here is that what your mind is doing is it's it's running a cost benefit analysis. And that's what it runs on everything. So when, you, when you're when you in a restaurant and you're looking at a menu, you're running a cost-benefit analysis on the four different options that you're looking at. And what your mind does is it, it runs simulation programs uh, in imagination as it attempts to try to figure out what the cost-benefit is. So if a, uh, uh, if a girl is trying to decide between two dates to the prom that she's been offered, that's what she's doing is she's running a cost benefit analysis and she uses her imagination to essentially try to game out in a virtual reality program, which does you think will be the better all all around experience? Is it Bill or is it George? OK, mm-hmm. that's what she's doing. And so that's what your cat is doing when it's it's uh, looking up and whether or not it's worth taking its paw and scratching your chin to see whether or not, you know, it can get some more treats out of you it's running a cost benefit analysis. That's what brains do, is they run cost benefit analysis. And, the, um, the hu- and in humans, you can see evidence of the cost benefit analysis in, in imagination. So people don't just magically eat french fries, they have to imagine the french fries, they're thinking about what those are gonna be like, and then they figure out where they're gonna go get them. In other words, this is all driven in imagination in a virtual reality program. It's running through the system and generating vestiges of the feelings that you expect to get when you achieve it. So if you see somebody attractive and you're on the dating market and you see them, you, you can't help it. You're thinking about what it would be like in close proximity and touching that person. That's what's going on. You're running virtual reality programs. And so when you're running virtual reality programs on food choices, of course, you've got memories that tell you, about what the experience is going to be like to be eating the richer food. And the virtual reality program is going to be like, well, I'd rather eat a meal that's 1,000 calories a pound than a meal that's 500 calories a pound. Your virtual reality program can tell you that it's a better decision uh, from the standpoint of your biology, which is the problem that you're having is trying to get energy for as little energy output as possible. So the problem that is at the root of the pleasure trap is that, you were simply designed with preferences that saved your life in the Stone Age so that you made sure to eat peaches instead of romaine lettuce. That's exactly, or to eat nuts instead of the peaches. You're designed by nature to be aiming at the high calorie density when it's available. This is a problem. So what are we going to do about it? And the, the, the solution to the problem is to be consistent enough and have your environment set up well enough. Mm-hmm. That that you essentially make it so that the virtual reality programs uh, are are starting to understand that the rich food is out of season, that it's not available, okay? Now, the fact, uh, this, this is true, for example, even with, with an alcoholic, with, with wine, that you're designed by nature to know that a food is in season or a resource is in season with respect to food with taste and smell but not with vision Mm. okay so uh, taste and smell are the 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 primary mechanisms by which you know that a resource is in season where if you are an alcoholic and you have not had a drink in five months you're not particularly tempted because as long as the smell and the taste are not hitting your nervous system Vision is not going to be a big deal. It's not going to. So I can have an alcoholic walk down a wine aisle in a grocery store and not really be pulled very hard at all because the virtual reality program, it it does not have recent memories of the taste and smell experience. So it really isn't seeing it that it's in season. Mm -hmm. But if they have even a smell of it, now they're in trouble. Okay, and if they have a taste of it, they're going to be sunk. So. In the same way, this is going to be true with our dietary problems, that if you keep your food sequestered to a healthy, tasty food for a period of time, uh, three or four weeks, that if you do this, effectively, a lot of the virtual reality programs will be quieting down on the concept that the food is even available. Now, if you walk by a pizza place and smell it, then it wakes it up. It says, oh, it's in season. Okay. Okay. So you're in a little trouble right now for the next few minutes until you get out of there and you quit smelling that because it's going to be pushing you. But as soon as you get out away from it and you haven't actually chomped it down, it's quieting down in the system pretty quickly. Mm. So your job is to essentially organize your behavior well enough around uh, healthy foods that and staying away and keeping it at bay, the teasing of the system so that you don't keep telling the nervous system that it's in season. If you do that, then it's always going to be a heck of a dogfight because the system is designed by nature to keep going for the richest resources available. And if it knows they're available, you're not going to forget about it. So I've noticed this, you know, I've been known to eat some Halloween candy. And if I do that, the problem is I'm I'm in trouble for the next several days because it's like, okay, it's in season. Now, the interesting thing is, is that, you know, once I throw it all away or, you know, manage to get rid of it, then what happens is, is that two or three weeks later, it's Doug, well Doug,
0: I got I to ask you a question, though. How are you getting Halloween candy? You're not going trick or treating.
1: Yes, I have gone trick or treating <laughs> with uh, little kids, uh, essentially grandchildren. And so, yeah, that this is exactly. And I'm not above stealing their candy. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I i am not a uh a uh a, a true north saint okay yeah alan goldhammer's a true north saint but i'm not so i'm a real person yeah. and i will i will indulge myself into the pleasure trap every now and then not all the way into the trap but i will tease the system but i know when i tease it i'm asking for two or three days of turbulence in my motivation like i know it's going to happen and well,
0: uh yeah well, what's interesting is you you used uh, three words that I've never heard you use before, and I've heard you give a lot of talks, and that was you used the term virtual reality programming. Yes, which I really like that as well. Yes, um, and and that's an easy way for I think people to connect to what you're referring to. You know, another thing that that you say, and we've kind of refined it with, uh, Adam Sud is make your environment look like your goals. Right.
1: You know what? I keep forgetting that, but like, that's the best thing I've ever heard. And as soon as I heard that kid say that I'm like, he's a kid. He's gonna, he's gonna wrinkle his eyebrows. Cause isn't he 40 now? Uh, yeah. 40, I 41. Mean, he like looks that. to me like he's about 30. And as I far know. as I'm concerned, he's always going to be the kid, but that, that young man has nailed it. That is exactly how how we have to look at that. I love that analogy. It's beautiful. I've never heard of a better one. Make your environment look like your goals. Yeah.
0: And for people that don't know who we're talking about, this is Adam Sud. On Instagram, he's a plant-based addict. He will be joining us in Sedona. He actually came to one of our retreats when he was 330 plus pounds, uh, addicted to Adderall cocaine in 2010. You actually weren't at that retreat, Doug. Mm-hmm. Um, and it truly is amazing to see how far Adam has come, and just uh, what a pillar he has become of the of the whole food plant based uh, community, and what he's doing with his guns and you know getting big and strong. <laughs> he is getting after it.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah that that is a uh, when
1: you see things like that. Yeah, you it, it makes you feel like everything is possible. It does. Yes. And that, that we can get thrown in our community because our community will attract people like Adam that, that have that kind of commitment and determination. And you see someone that can absolutely transform their entire life history. Uh, and he did. And so mm-hmm. it can be done. We know it can be done. We've seen it. And it makes us, it makes us feel like, Hey, Hey, why can't the whole country do this and turn their life around? And we look at it and we think, well, in principle it could, but actually in reality it can't. And mm. it's it's because the this problem. People that are listening to this are among a uh, a modest sized minority that have this as a potential for them. Uh, if you have this level of interest, if you're listening to us, this is not an accident. You you have sought out this information and you're curious and you're interested. This makes you an unusual person. You may not think you're that unusual, but in fact, you are. And so, what is, uh, is this is possible for you? But it's not going to be possible for Johnny Lunchbucket, right smack in the middle of the bell curve in this society. That guy is is headed to to uh, the life that he's going to live, and whatever modern medicine can do to mitigate it, and it's not going to be too good. But hopefully, he'll you'll have a decent life experience and, and, and be okay, but it's not going to be good Uh, to be good. You got to treat your body better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Two days ago, Doug, our AC upstairs went out. And so I called, um, you know, one of these HVAC companies, John Gonzalez or John came out and he told me that his father has had two heart attacks. He's like 51 now, um, severely overweight and can't get a job because he can hardly walk. So I gave him a copy of, you know, this, the engine Two seven day rescue book. Um, and he came back the next day and was super excited that, you know, gave it to his father and his father was hopeful, but you know, there's so many people whether I'm driving in a taxi or an Uber, or, you know, and you have these conversations with people because you want to reach out and you want to help them. Sure. Because you and I, we know what's at the other end if people will just be able to grasp the the basic nut of what we're trying to um, get across.
1: Yes, that's very true. And the thing is, is that you can't tell by looking at somebody whether they're going to have it. <laughs> you can't you cannot tell <laughs> there's, there's no way we would have known that that was sitting inside of Adam.
0: Yeah.
1: No possible. And he didn't know. And no. so this is, this is why we just keep spreading our message and do the very best we can and, and, and touch as many people as we can, but also understand that this will, this will not be something that if you get it, it doesn't mean your sister or your brother or your husband or your wife or your children or your parents are going to get it. In other words, you have to you have to be willing to, you know, you fix yourself first and then if it leaks to other people. Great. But if it doesn't, you know, then that wasn't meant to be
0: here. I got a question on the screen for you, Doug. Dr. Lyle, I'm one hundred and thirty five days free from using the medical cannabis trap. Dr. Vera Tarman talked about the psychological withdrawals taking up to one to two years. Do you know of any other withdrawal symptom or symptoms? Uh, symptoms other than what? The the um, I'm not sure I
1: understand the question. Sorry about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I guess yeah. there's psychological withdrawals, maybe anything else like with alcohol for example, you know, there's there's withdrawals and
1: yeah, your drugs. You're yeah. going to you're you're you the uh, we know from uh, if a person used something like this long term that there can be uh, it can take quite a while for for the, the neurochemistry to all wind up getting regulated back to kind of where it started. And so it can be as much as three years, okay? Uh, might even be longer in some cases, but probably not for this. Uh, longer-term recovery has been shown to happen in things like cocaine and, and methamphetamine. So, in other words, that you can disrupt the brain function enough that it takes – years and years for it to get all the way back to more normal but that doesn't mean it's not mostly back to normal after a year or two okay same thing with alcohol so you're mostly normal after a year or so you're better after three years and uh and you still may be only 95 percent of normal at that point so i'm not too worried about uh, how long these things take as long as you're doing pretty well The, the good news is is that you could still be improving, and um, and so that that's you know that's the that's one of the reasons why I try to stay away from all this stuff. I
0: just can't believe a three a three year tail on some of these things. Yeah, more
1: they've they've shown that mm-hmm. some of it could be ten years. So you 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 can see that you effectively and the the, the that the brain is still recovering uh, very very slowly from the from essentially the disruption that is caused by a really heavy duty drug.
0: So, yeah. Um, B wants to know, could schizophrenia be resolved with whole food plant based? Um, no, it cannot be. So
1: schizophrenia is a, uh, is a, a, a cluster. It's a, it's a, a name we use for a cluster of, of, uh, of, of, uh, in, mental experiences that are odd and um and those those are derivative of um thousands of s- subtle little uh, a co- combination of genes that result in a, a a nervous system that's a little bit you know can be a little bit or can be very unusual so the um the medications are uh, generally, I would say very bad news. So the medications are not a solution to schizophrenia. If you're if you've got someone close to you and you have questions about this, I mean, the first place that I would ever go to learn about this would be Anatomy of an Epidemic by Robert Whitaker. Mm. Uh, the but in terms of whole foods, plant based nutrition, um, that's going to be a hard that's a high bar to try to get somebody's uh, diet to improve that is struggling with, with uh, limitations that are around schizophrenia. Um, So I'm not, uh, and it's not going to fix it, uh, but, but certainly people can feel better physically. They can be calmer if they're less stimulated by a bunch of the, the junk food that people very often eat. A lot of schizophrenics are disturbed by a lot of internal stimuli and they, 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 they'll, they'll, uh, it helps focus their attention a little bit temporarily if they smoke cigarettes. So a high percentage of them will smoke cigarettes and they'll get a, several minutes of relief of their mind, not being kind of so open and fragmented. So this is a hard problem, but uh, it's going to turn out that, um, that most of the best of what we have for schi- uh, for schizophrenia is peaceful, calm environments without too much stimulation, uh, healthy food, really good regular biorhythms of, you know, not staying up uh, so late at night and getting up at a reasonable time in the morning and getting some daily exercise and reasonably healthy food. This is, and some productive activity during the day that's simple enough uh, that they can, that they can do this and in a supportive social environment. This is, uh, i.e. living in a small town, okay, or living in something that looks and feels like a small town uh, in a nice, simple, supportive environment. This is, this is the best treatment that there is for schizophrenia.
0: Yeah yeah let me ask you this Doug. How long have you been uh, practicing psychology? I've been a psychologist for more than 30 years. okay. What are your thoughts on screens and screen time and what it's doing to the the mind? and are you is this something that you are? seeing with people that you're patients that you're talking to and having to like try and get to the bottom of that and, and try and yeah. minimize it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that one of the problems is, is that the, the world's wealthy enough that, that literally people aren't having to work hundred hours a week the way they used to. So if they had to work hundred hours a week, then they couldn't be staring at screens all day. So we we what we're looking at is one additional new way for people's lives to get out of balance, and so uh, uh, the screens are inherently interesting. There's interesting information on there, uh, and they're now designed by nature, uh, now designed cleverly by robots to try to figure out what's going to pull your nervous system and find out what's a little 1% more enticing. So basically the same thing is happening with your attention as what happened in the foods in the second half of the 20th century. They got increasingly sophisticated about how to put the food together so that you can't keep yourself out of it. And they're doing exactly the same thing with your attention. So uh, if we're not careful and you don't set up boundaries, i.e. make your, make your uh, goals look like your environment is what Adam would tell us. And so, you know, I have never in my life been on Facebook. Is never happened. Okay, <laughs> what what about Instagram? Have you been on? Never Instagram? been on Instagram. So, no. in other words, the the uh, I'm bragging like I'm some saint, but the truth is, is I'm technologically incompetent, and so uh, therefore my life remains remarkably
0: twentieth century. <laughs> well, I need to I need to say that I just wanted to see if you'd posted anything in Instagram before we went on today, no, no. so I could like ask you questions, and of course, I found a Doug Lyle. Yeah. But it's a Doug Lyle that says, he says, I like to pick things up and put them down again. This guy's a power lifter. And, and, he, and he also loves the Warhammer 40K log. There you go.
1: There you go. <laughs> not me.
0: No. Uh, I very quickly, it was like, oh, that's not that's not the, the Doug that I know and love. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> uh, wow. That's remarkable that you've never been on Facebook or Instagram. Wow. Like I said. So if so not- you. But here's the thing, though, Doug, 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 if you will indulge in a little bit of Halloween candy, you must indulge a little bit of Netflix or something like that. Oh, sure.
1: Okay. Yeah. And so it's going to turn out that this is one of these things like um, it's all about balance. You know, so uh, if you got a basketball team, it's all about balance. And uh, with your diet, it's about balance. And so it's also true with uh, with everything in your life. And so we, we have to look at all of these things, like um, uh, we, we have to look at everything. Everything needs to be under a reasonable amount of scrutiny about, is this thing pulling my life out of balance? Yeah. So there's people that can go into a casino and, you know, spend two or three hundred dollars a year, a couple times a year, you know, playing a little bit of blackjack for an hour. And that's that. And then there's people whose lives are destroyed by it. There's people that can have a glass of wine now and then on some special occasion there's people whose lives are destroyed by it. And the same thing is going to be true with all of the screens and media. You you can have your life uh, probably not destroyed by it but certainly impoverished. Mm-hmm. And and that is a that is something that is very evident that is happening and you know just like the food, you know, you're going to be you you're going to have a lot of of human life essentially not destroyed but made mediocre. Mm-hmm. So, so we need to respect that—that that, that that they're after us.
0: You no, know, you know, you know what's destroying my life right now is pickleball. I can't yeah. get enough pickleball. <laughs> that's a that's a good way to destroy your life, Rick. That's a perfect quest. That's good. I ho- I hope we get to play again uh, in Sedona. I'm sure we will. Good, good, good. Yeah. Hey, Doug, uh, this has been absolutely terrific. I I appreciate uh you on such short notice jumping in to to tackle some of these questions on these weight loss drugs and how you know um big question marks there and yes. uh and how we believe that whole food plant based is a, a much smarter choice absolutely you bet right yeah so i will see you, see you in anyway. just sedona. over a month and a half in the red rock mountains of sedona and again anybody if you want to join us, Adam Sud, Jane, Dr. Clapper, the whole incredible Plant Strong team, and about 80 other people that are want to enjoy everything there is about Plant Strong Living. Use the code Doug 150. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Doug. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Rip. Yeah, yeah. Hey, give me a give me a virtual fist bump on the way out. Boom. There you go. Perfect. Bye. Bye Have perfect. a great weekend, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Plant Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leaving us a positive review and sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowicz, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.